This is Rob Stein, and welcome to the Impossible to Fail podcast. I'm a multi-business-owning entrepreneur that has cracked the code to launching careers to massive success. Over the past 20 years, I've developed a life-changing process that has allowed me to achieve a level of wealth and financial freedom that I previously thought was only possible for the select few. These principles are universal for any industry, and I've personally applied this process to transition from a teacher with a master's degree to an award-winning music composer and publisher, championship-level bodybuilder, top-producing real estate agent and team leader, and entrepreneurial coach. If you want to achieve the financial success and time freedom that you deserve, you simply need to make it impossible to fail. Welcome to another episode of the Impossible to Fail podcast. My guest today, we, we kind of just hit it off and I was like, we should probably start recording because we just got into a good conversation. Mr. Christian Batchelder, he is over uh, at the in California and he is the owner of One Brokerage, one of the largest lending organizations out there, one of the top ranked. And uh, we really resonate on a similar frequency because he is a renaissance man, just like me. So let me give you a little bit of his background. He graduated with a bachelor's in science, chemical engineering, but he hated that industry. He wanted to get out of his capped earning potential, just like I wanted to get out of real, of teaching and, and, and the capped earning potential there. He wanted to get out of, of his industry. So first he got into real estate, uh, got his real estate license, got his insurance broker's license, got his mortgage broker's license, all to just continue adding value to everyone he worked with. A little while ago, uh, he founded and brokered uh, the One Brokerage. He's also the co-founder and of uh, with David Green, who's the host of the Bigger Pockets podcast. Now, for those of you that don't know Bigger Pockets, it is the online authority for investing. If you want to know how to get involved in real estate investing at any level, you go to biggerpockets.com. It's got all the resources. Their podcast is one of the biggest one out there. And Christian here partners with David, who's the host. Since then, they've grown to be one of the top 20 brokerages in the nation. He's hosting mastermind seminars, webinars from how to buy your first all the way to your thousandth property. He's created courses, curriculums, and uh, this guy is just on fire. And we had to get him on here. So, Christian, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, absolutely. What an intro. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, sounds like you pretty much told the whole story. I'm good to go, right? All right, later. <laughs> <laughs> no, but very happy to be here. Appreciate you setting time aside. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. So let's just dive right in. One of the things that I'm really intrigued about, and it's something that is a, a kind of a regular occurring theme with entrepreneurs, um, is that they didn't always start out as an entrepreneur, right? They started out yeah, as, as a technician. They started out with a, a highly developed skill set and then either went out to start a business in that skill set or just said, you know what, this is not for me. I'm going to go out and start something completely different because I want more potential in life and finances and everything than I have now. So talk us through the journey a little bit about like you started in chemical engineering. What was it that originally wanted you to go in that direction? Yeah, good, good question. And uh, it's kind of a, a funny one because it's, it's much less deep than people probably think. Um, I literally Googled what the highest paying major was. <laughs> right. And uh, I was I was very good in in the sciences. I, I, I was naturally gifted in my studies and in schooling. So I kind of just figured, hey, if I can do anything, why not shoot shoot for the highest target? Right. Um, I graduated from UC Berkeley and I very quickly understood that um, I was in one of the weird probably percentages of the population where my skills did not line up with my enjoyment. Mm. Um, so even though I was really good at something, like I hated it. 
wasn't for me. I didn't enjoy this classes. I, I did a couple internships after I graduated. I had a couple job offers and I just couldn't, I couldn't fathom myself doing any of it. I just, none of it interested me. I didn't want to be stuck in a chemical engineering is very like you're in a factory, you know, you're in some production plant, you, you get, go into oil or water purification, I mean, or battery production. And just like all of that's just, even as I'm saying it, you can probably hear the, Ugh, in my voice, right? Like <laughs> I, I, I don't want to do it. It's not fun. I don't want to be behind a computer typing in algorithms all day. Right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, just funny enough, I, I kind of went around to my, you know, I, I didn't even know what a sphere of influence was at that time, but I, I did exactly that. And I said, Hey, what is, what's everybody doing? You know, I went to a couple people who I had known, uh, is actually the father of one of my childhood friends. Mm. Um, you know, who I just known was a generally successful guy. Right. And I was like, what do you, what do you do? Funny enough, he was actually a chemical engineer in his early days and he pivoted over to, to, uh, the finance industry mm. and kind of in the similar path of what I'm trying to do now, it kind of all kind of stems from what, what I learned from him. Um, he wanted to be a one-stop shop, right? So as you said in the intro, I'm a real estate broker, a mortgage broker, an insurance broker, kind of like a full financial services firm is kind of the goal, right? And whether that's through, you know, wanting to buy real estate or wanting to structure a portfolio or wanting to, you know, get advice on how to leverage and how to finance and ultimately how to insure as well, right? Protect what you've what you've grown. Mm-hmm. Um, that was kind of my path. And I've I found way more, you know, validity and way more enjoyment and and just you know i feel like i belong where i ended up which is which is a cool feeling because i you know unfortunately not everybody gets to end up in the place where they feel they belong right yeah yeah and and i can relate to that 100 percent uh i mean i earned a master's degree in education and spent 10 years doing it and had a high skill set at it but i just did not want to teach public school anymore I absolutely like i like coaching entrepreneurs that that want to be here and are very motivated <laughs> but uh there's definitely something to be said for being able to settle in your passion but that's also a result of your your work ethic and your drive and overcoming all of the fears that went along with that because you didn't accidentally open a brokerage (laughs) and accidentally get all of these licenses and fall into it it's something that you intentionally were striving for so what type of you know did you have any fear did you have any doubt did you have any haters and naysayers when you said oh, yeah, all the time you know of course i went to college and got this degree and got this great high paying job but i'm not passionate about it and i'm gonna go start a business you know what yeah. great question oh my god this this resonates with me so well because i can remember the conversations yeah. um you know it's not it's not always the most praised thing when a uh when a chemical engineer who pretty much has a layup to you know, I mean, my first job offer was 180,000 a year. Like that's what they offered me like out of the gates, out of college. Right. And it's not really, you can imagine family reactions when they say you're turning that down and uh, right out of college. So I was what I graduated. I spent a few more years in college than I should have because I changed my majors around a couple of times, but I was 20, what, 22, 23, probably once I was done with the whole thing. And for for Um, most people, 180, they would love to, I mean, if they could get to 60, make oh, 180 yeah. grand, right? I mean, that's like an end goal. And here you are 100%. right out of college in your young 20s with that. And said no, offer. right? And said no. And it was a traveling job. And I had to, you know, be around in different countries. And I I had a, you know, a, a fairly serious relationship at the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's it definitely doesn't go over well with everybody when they're looking from the outside in saying, I would be miserable for 180K a year. Right. Like I would do a job that I absolutely hate. And that's what people were telling me, like, how could you how could you go like and and take, you know, this shot on a whim? 
of something that may not work out. And that, that was very difficult. There was a period in my life where I doubted myself for probably two straight years, my first two years in the industry. Mm. You know, I didn't make 200 or, you know, 200K my first year in the industry, right? Mm. So definitely went through those doubts and those tribulations, but obviously I'm here now. I'm hell of glad I did it. Um, but it was a struggle for sure. You know, it's not entrepreneurship is not something that, like you said, that you stumble into and, oh, look, success. That was easy. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, it is a lot of work. Yeah. And, and from the outside looking in, like looking at your stats that we were reviewing prior to starting our recording here and where you are now and owning one of the top brokerages in the nation, it could be easy to say like, oh, he just flipped the switch and <laughs> wa it, money's walking into his account and he, he's hiring agents, no problem. But when you're in it, you know how different it is. And, you know, those people Absolutely. that said to you, I was laughing uh, kind of on the inside when you said, I had people that said to me, I'd be miserable for 180 grand. No, you wouldn't. No, you yeah. wouldn't. It, anyone that said that, I would imagine, didn't make anything close to that. Probably not even over six figures. And so when they're in their job that they're not crazy about anyway, making 50 to 60 grand a year, it's easy to say, I'd be miserable for 180 grand a year. But the reality is if they actually got that job, and worked in it and were completely miserable, it wouldn't be that long before they said this isn't worth it. 100%. Because it doesn't matter that, how much money you're making. If you hate what you do, it's not worth it. 100%. And I, I got, I have kind of personal experience with that because I've had, I've had family members. I didn't grow up very wealthy, but I've had extended family members who, who have been successful. Mm. And, you know, it's, it's hard because, you know, even from what I've seen, man, success just does not line up with, you know, man, would I want that person's life, right? Would I want, you know, what they're, they're going through on the day to day? Would I want their stress levels? Would I want their, you know, they haven't taken a vacation in four years, you know, like, yeah, right. I, I, I don't know if that's, you know, sure, they're getting paid well. And, you know, they got the respect of the family because they're a lawyer or doctor or, you know, whatever. But, you know, there's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes that, that people are always thinking. So I, I agree with that a lot. The people who are saying I'd be miserable for that, you know, you'd get there and you'd probably change your mind pretty quickly, right? Yeah. I remember when I was still teaching, when I was building my first business, which was not in real estate, it was in music composition and publishing. I'm still active in that business. Nice. Um, and I was rehearsing in a band and uh, we were at one, one of the band members' uh, houses now. He was in uh, um, legal field. His wife was in the legal field. The house, for sure, was probably a two, three million dollar house. It was incredible, and he worked extremely hard. They both did, and they had a, uh, they provided an amazing quality of life for the family. I also know that he just always traveled and um. didn't spend a lot of time with the family, and it was a stressor. And I remember one time having a conversation with him, saying, "Just he was just saying like how." draining it is to do all the travel and everything. I was like, dude, like, isn't how, what, what, what kind of time do you spend with your, your wife and your kids? And he said, well, you, we, we work all day and then we come home and eat dinner and we put the kids to bed. And then we, that's when we spend time together. And he goes on to tell me spending time together is the two of them sitting on the couch. He's got a scotch. She's got a glass of wine and they're sitting next to each other with their laptops and they're still working. Yeah. <laughs> and, if you're work, th there's no amount, and, and just for me, in my opinion, there's no amount of money that makes 70 to 80 hour work weeks worth it because then you can't enjoy it and 
It's not just about enjoying the money. It's about enjoying the time that the money buys you. 100%. Oh, my gosh. That's like that's taken right out of my brain. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> right. I mean, what? I was literally having this conversation with a family member of mine the other day. Yeah. Who's And they're very they're very saving oriented, right? They want to stack up the zeros in their account, but they sacrifice day in and day out of their lives. And I'm just like, man, what what are you hoping to get? Right. Like, I mean, if you can't take a little bit of that money and go enjoy life and they're very frugal, right? Which yeah, I respect yeah. frugality. I mean, that should, sure. you know, you should be a good steward of, of what you what you build. Yes. But if you do all of that and your loved ones can't enjoy it and you can't enjoy it. And like you said, your, 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 your pastime is sitting on the couch with your laptop still going anyways, yeah. you know, it's like, you know, I'm almost on the other side, the guys who say I'd be miserable for that income. I'd almost say I'd give up some income to, to be less miserable. Absolutely. Let's, let's go that way. Right. A hundred percent. I mean, when, when people, uh, whether they're entrepreneurs or not, yeah. if you ask the average person on the street, what, what do you envision? If you close your eyes, what do you envision when you think financial freedom, having seven figures, you know, never worrying about money at all. What do you think of? What's the imagery that pops into your head? Every single person is going to tell you I'm on the beach, I'm yeah. traveling, I got my feet up, I got an umbrella in my drink, the money is there. No one says, oh, I'm grinding out 70 to 80 hour work weeks, I'm traveling, I'm never seeing my kids or my family, I'm getting three hours of sleep a night, my blood pressure's 180 over 120, oh, no. I can't wait. <laughs> no. That's also not what you see on Instagram, right? That's yeah. not what you're seeing on their Instagram reels or their Facebooks or anything else either. So that's, you know, obviously people are choosing what to share there, but... I don't know. I think if you if you can find probably the answer lies in, in like finding the perfect mix of that, right? Because obviously, I mean, you need you need the money in the grind to to be able to accomplish that. But if you can find something that, like I did, right? I I had the money, not in the right field, not in the right you know resonance with my mind of what I enjoy. And I mean, to be honest with you, my my absolute biggest accomplishment in my life is I've hired my best friend. I hired my college roommate, mm. right? I hired my best friends three other friends who like all work for our firm now and like in my mind the fact that i can now surround these people that like i loved anyways mm -hmm. and like not only provide them you know income and like sustainability of life but they're also you know some of them came over from retail right. you know some of them came over uh you know one of them was working in a lab you know and it's like the fact that my grind and and how hard that that i work to build this thing is now other people around me are able to pull enjoyment out of that mm -hmm. and like is pull a sustainable. That's amazing to me. I mean, yeah. that, that is my biggest thing. Like when I really look back and I'm like, man, what did I do all this for? Like, that's such an easy answer to me. Yeah. Right. Whereas you go, you go somebody making my exact same level of money, even if they were on the beach, like I got more enjoyment than that. Like I got more fulfillment knowing that I gave, you know, not I gave, cause obviously they work for it. Right. I mean, we're in sales. I mean, they're not yeah. getting handouts. But the fact that there's even an opportunity for someone that I love to take advantage of for is yeah. like the most fulfilling thing I can possibly imagine. Oh, it's the best. I, I mean, yeah. you, you own your uh, your financial brokerage, right? I own my real yeah. estate brokerage. Hundred percent. And um, to to be able to bring on agents, you know, there's a phrase I heard recently at, at one of the masterminds I'm a part of. I don't know where it originated, but the phrase is, "We find our purpose in life serving the person we used to be." Oh, I like that. Isn't that beautiful? When I heard that, yeah. oh wow, that is so. I perfect. wish more brokers lived by that because some brokers just become a broker and they, you know, they nope out and they're out in the Bahamas and they're letting yeah. the agents work for them. Like I'm a super active broker. I'm sure you are as well with all the yeah. training and everything you put on. Yeah. Like that's perfect because I mean, a true broker should be acting with that mentality. Like, hey, I used to be an agent. 
I used to be a loan officer. I used to be an insurance agent, whatever you are. Right. And now I'm the boss. Like I'm going to give them what I wish I got. Right. Like yeah. training resources, guidance, you know, help All with marketing, whatever it is. Right. But they, I, I love that. That's really good. Effective leader. They also need to see you in the trenches, even if you're not oh, yeah. doing the same work. Right. I, I still do some of my own deals. Pretty much all of the, the transactions go to my team. If I get uh, a, a client, I'm, I'm usually going to hand them off to one of my team members unless it's a very close friend or personal yeah. referral. But We're they the same still way. see me grinding and pushing, doing the things for them, building their training, building training modules, being, being available for them when they need help, building my businesses in, in the way that I'm doing it. And so you still need to inspire the people that work for you because if they don't see you doing that, working hard and being, and leading by example, it's going to be hard to follow. Yeah. No, I understand. I mean, people can tell, you know, I, I always think there's, there's three different types of, you know, kind of leaders or employers or bosses, whatever you want to categorize them as. They're the ones that, that don't care, right? They want the easy route. They, they don't really, you know, care one way. Then there's two that care, but there's ones that say it and their actions don't really follow. But then there's the ones that like, you can see, Wow, every activity that I see him doing, him or her, whoever it is, right? Every activity, every event they put on, every training they host, every whatever your, you know, industry is allowing you to do, mm. they can see that correlating with like, oh man, that's that's helping me, that's assisting me, that's growing the company, that's growing my personal sphere of influence, that's growing my connections and my resources. That's what I am, right? And that's that's the thing that I exactly what you're saying, being in the in the in the trenches people can feel that. Like you, I, I know, you know, my, my, my company, the guys in my company, like the moment there's a hard time, they're going to have my back. Right. I mean, that's, and I feel like building around that is something that entrepreneurship doesn't really get brought up a whole lot. Right. Where you're actually, when you're building, yes, you're building opportunity. Yes. You're building income, passive income, active income, whatever you want to categorize it as. But if you can build a culture and you can build a team that like, man, you're almost building a family, right? And I didn't have a whole lot growing up. So I feel like that's kind of why this, this really, you know, resonates in my brain is just, man, if you can find a way to build a family and surround yourself with people that everything you guys do as a team benefits everybody, like there's no way that fails, right? Like people aren't going to bleed off when it gets hard. Like, you know, everybody's going to work together. And as long as you all stay on the same path, man, entrepreneurship is rewarding. Unlike anything I've experienced in my life. You're hundred percent right about that. On, let, let's roll with that for a moment on the uh, we're kind of talking about recruiting a little bit and yeah. one of the benefits of owning your business is you get to choose who you oh yeah <laughs> and um, there's a, a great part of the one of my favorite books there so I have a, a huge huge library on the bookshelf right here in the background are just my very 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 favorites but I have <laughs> two other big big bookcases throughout the house with all my favorites on them and a ton of audiobooks there are a handful of books that I will listen to three or four times a year because I always get something out of them every single time. One of those yeah. is The Entrepreneur Roller Coaster by Darren Hardy. So good. And he talks about a time when he was having dinner with the CEO of Marriott. And he was saying to the CEO, you know, every time I stay in one of your hotels, I'm just always – blown away by the level of service and the friendliness. Your people are always just super friendly. They go above and beyond the call of duty. They're incredible. How do you train your people to be like that? And the CEO just kind of 
chuckled and he said, I don't train people to be friendly. I just hire really friendly people. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, and, and so then he goes on to explain that the culture of a company, you know, it's not built in, in a boardroom. It's built by the people that make it up. And yeah. so when I train my team every morning and we're, we have such a supportive, relentlessly hardworking, A-player, Navy SEAL-type vibe, it's not because I go to the whiteboard and I say, we are hardworking. We are supportive. When I interview people, I just have really high standards as to who I bring on, and I hire relentlessly hardworking, super supportive A players only. And so, so talk about your how you found your, your groove recruiting because you don't become one of the top 20 brokerages in the nation in a short amount of time without knowing how Absolutely. to That's something a lot of people struggle with. So what was your journey like when you when it comes to hiring and recruiting and growing so quickly? Well, that's a good question. Um, something that I haven't actually had a chance to talk about in public. So the people in the company obviously know how this progressed. So yeah. we, we started with uh, in a very unique place of basically we were the staff of a startup with the volume needing to be serviced of an established company. Obviously being associated with David and bigger pockets and everything that is, we had a lot of people right away who wanted to work with us, right? Okay. And, you know, I had had some recognition in the industry prior, so kind of our fusing immediately started off with some some credit behind it, right? Some credibility. So we kind of started with, a, I always compare it to, a, you know, like the, the Revolutionary War in America when like America fought, fought with farm hands. We didn't have a military. Right. right. Like when we were fighting against the British, like we, we had farm hands who like picked up their, 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 you know, farm tools and like, yeah. Hey, we got to fight for what's ours. Right. That's how we started. Very crude, very, you know, no systems, no organization. But as we grew that kind of bonded, like our initial core, like, Oh man, we've been through everything. We had nothing to start and we had to grow really quickly. And as we grew, we also grew with processes. Right. And now our recruiting is so fine tuned that, I'll just tell you how our, our system works is that we have a two week onboarding, uh, basically boot camp, so to, so to speak, mm. where it's open invite for anybody. They come in and they can try out to be processor, loan officers, admin, whatever, whatever they're looking for. Everybody takes the same two weeks and it's nine to five. It's hosted by me, mm. right? For two straight weeks. Um, and at the end of that two weeks, I decide, Hey, from what I've seen from you over the course of the last two weeks, I would love for you to be a part of our company in X, Y, or Z position. And it doesn't have, I don't want to say we're like Harvard. I don't have like a 2% acceptance rate, but it's got a, you know, fairly low acceptance rate because like, I, I, I want to see something from you that I feel confident building around because I believe the people that we're building around are really positioned for long-term success. Yeah. Like I have to believe that as the owner of the company, yeah. right? So, so generally how, what, what is the average? Cause I know for, for me, for the amount of people on, in my company that express interest, get through the pre-screening and even get to the interview, 30 to 40% get to the interview. Out of people that get to the interview, about half of them will get a 90 day trial and then there's still, you know, any, a lot of people talk big in an interview. Now let's see what you do. Of course. So we have, uh, approaching single digit, uh, retention rate from, from initial touch all the way to maintaining a spot in my company. But that's because 100%. we have extremely 
high standard. It's not fulfilling for me to work with tire kickers and people that don't take it seriously. Absolutely. I'll take on a brand new agent any day if they have the A-player mentality, if they're down with massive action, relentless consistency, taking ownership, no victim mentality. Those are the type of people I like to work with. So let's say for you, you have two weeks, nine to five. How many people generally will come into that? How ma- let's start with how many people come into that and make it to the end of the two weeks. So, I mean, initially just reaching out to us, it's probably close to probably about two a day. Maybe call it 60 a month, right? We're probably getting over 60 people a month just inquiring, right? Probably uh, maybe 30% of those will actually be able to set time aside or take time off from work because it's a two-week onboarding. It's a, yeah. it's a lot, and I demand right. it full-time, right? Yeah. So, you know, that 60 is now down to 20, right? And we, we host one about every 30 days. or I'm sorry, about every three months, I should say, every 90 days. Um, and you know, we host for two weeks. So there's anywhere from on the very low end 20 up to like maybe 50 people in a course. Okay. Right now, what we're different is that I don't hire typically directly to like the position of our in-house loan officer. Right. So that's like equivalent for you, like maybe a sales leader or something. Mm. Right. I don't hire that. We hire maybe as a processor or an independent self-gen LO, somebody who, Hey, you got through the training. Here's a position. Now you have a growth path in the company. Mm-hmm. Right. So where that way, if, if a processor doesn't work out or somebody showed two weeks of relentless consistency and then that was just kind of a, a facade and they don't follow through with it, it's not like I lose a team lead. Right. There's then a full on probably a year or two promotion path through the company to actually reaching probably what they originally intended to to uh, try out for. Yes. Right. So we've kind of found a way to protect, protect our ranks, so to speak Mm -hmm. with that model. Mm -hmm. And we've had amazing, I haven't lost a single loan officer. And this is, we're in a time in the industry where, you know, loan Depot and Quicken loans and all these guys are laying off 60, 70% of their workforce, right? Like they just don't need them because they hired so aggressively last year. Whereas we haven't laid off a single loan officer, right? Like everybody's still here with us. So, but I, I firmly believe that's because Everybody who is now in that position, like grinded and they got experience that they couldn't get anywhere else. And like, sure, maybe they didn't make what they wanted, but just like I said, right, when I first started, I didn't make that 180K my first year, but I right. saw a promotion path. And granted, I was, you know, just a salesperson at that time, but I saw a promotion path that would lead me past that 180 in time. Right. Right. That's kind of the mindset of everybody in the company. Like, hey, if you can get up, you know, and not everybody wants to be a loan officer. A lot of people are processors and make a a reasonable salary but if they want that higher drive that that you know ultimate goal setting whatever it is they have a promotion path to get there and it, it leads to so much stickiness yeah like i don't lose people who put years into obtaining a goal finally to get it and then say okay later i'm out <laughs> right yeah because they Usually, worked way too hard they worked way too 100 percent. yeah i mean right and now, i put so you- many proof checks in place that you had to knock down so many obstacles to get to your place that, man, once you're there, it feels so good. And usually people are doing very well financially yeah. that, you know, it's we're, we're very our attrition rate is very, very, very low. Yeah. And for for someone for you to be able to say you haven't lost one yet. I mean, that that's a pretty staggering, extremely uncommon. It is needle in a haystack type of statistic. But again, that doesn't happen by accident because that's a result of the systems that you've put in place. So by the time you're sifting for gold and you finally find it, it's a result of those systems that you have that, that's going to allow you to hold on to it. If uh, Absolutely. For anyone listening to this right now, remember that all of the video recordings of this podcast are available on my YouTube at robstein.com 
TV. And if you see in my background, you see I have a couple posters, and one of them is the, the success iceberg, and I love this one. Yeah, and I've seen that one. what Christian and I are talking about right now is right here at the top where you see the top of the iceberg over the water, that's the success, and that's what most people see. But what they don't see, like when, so when, when Christian has someone that took two years to get to that point, and they're here, they're not going to break that iceberg because look at everything else they had to go through yeah. to get there. They had to go through risks and failure and doubt and criticism and discipline and sacrifices and rejection and late nights and persistence and hard work. And that's not even all of it. That's just what fits on and the And none, none of those things were fun, right? It's none not like they got fun. these little pieces of, of fulfillment getting there. It's a long grind to get like that ultimate fulfillment yeah. where it's like, oh, my God, now I got the goal accomplished. Now I got the task solved, right? Yeah. And, and that really – that comes down to delayed gratification. Yes. And I'm – I mean I'm a huge advocate for it and re realistically – you can't achieve in any type of self-development, especially specifically entrepreneurship, without delayed gratification. And earlier, Christian, you, you hit the nail on the head when you said entrepreneurs posting on social media, they're very selective oh, yeah. about what they want to post. And I have a lot of posts on my social media where I don't hold back. I'm, I, sometimes I make videos at 11 o'clock at night in my office saying I'm going through some stuff right now. This is one of the hardest days of my career. I just got punched in the gut, and I'm going to have to figure out how to get out of this thing. And that's the reality of it. But so many entrepreneurs, they'll go on the social and they'll post in the real estate industry. They'll post the closings with the big key in front of the fancy car. They're not posting the deals that blow up and the emotional sellers and the answering yeah. the phone during dinner. And the appraisal that came back low that killed right, the deal. Right. Now, <laughs> right. now you're one day out of closing and you got to, you know, it's, yeah. uh, and any, anyone at any level, even the people that you wouldn't think are there, like the, the people that make seven, eight, nine figures, they still have those same issues. They're just at a bigger magnitude. They're at a bigger scale, but everyone goes through it. But social media has done a real, I, I think social media is responsible for a huge grit and delayed gratification shortage in this country especially because people have a false impression of what it's really like to be successful. They think yeah. entrepreneurs snap their fingers and all of a sudden it's just instant success and gratification and it's not like that. And in society today where we're more conditioned than ever in our entire evolutionary history that we get instant gratification all day. All day, every day. And people are born, like kids that are born today are born with instant gratification in everything they could ever all the time yep. want. they have video games food man. you can uber food right to your front yep. door now you know you don't even have to go yeah. need. man when my baby was born and we were going through that new parent holy sh just strap <laughs> in oh my god what do we do we need how many bibs she's throwing up all the time and i could run down the street to bye bye baby or you know what i'm too exhausted i'm delirious i'm not going to drive let me Order something on Amazon. It's going to be at my house in two hours. Yeah. Let me get any answer to any question I could have in three seconds on this little pocket computer. And now people have to work hard. I mean, there's a reason over 80% of small businesses, agents, loan officers, entrepreneurs fail because they think it's quick and it, it, it's not quick. So as you've, you've accomplished a lot with your company within a short amount of time, which someone that's in it like me knows, I can't even imagine some of the, well, I can, but in your industry specifically to grow that big in that small amount of time and in, in such a competitive arena, what were some of the 
real unexpected obstacles that you dealt with and adversity that you faced as you scaled so fast? Yeah, that's a good question. I, w- I wouldn't even say past tense. It's adversity that, that we continue to face, oh, right? I mean, yeah. it's, you know, it's funny. It's, it feels like a new challenge presents itself every day. I mean, we were just talking before this before this uh, meeting where I had a guy call me yesterday that said, so I didn't know you were into crypto, right? And somebody's, somebody's jacked my Instagram and just mm-hmm. made one little, you know, <laughs> one little underscore, you know, more than what mine is. And they're scamming people, right? And that's mm-hmm. somebody who may never do business again with me because they thought that was me scamming them, right? So, and obviously that's nothing business related. That's just, that's the things that you don't foresee, right? And for every one of those examples, there's 200 more that go unmentioned, oh, sure. you know? And, you know, I, I think when I first started, it, it was, I, I don't want to say imposter syndrome because I've always been a very self-confident person, but you know, people were coming to somebody with the stature and recognition in the industry, like David Green with, you know, bigger pockets host and very recognizable in the industry. You know, people were coming to me expecting to get him. Right. And like, oh, you're the, okay. You're David's, you're David's lending team. Okay. Let's rock. Right. Let's do this. And that's, that's a big shoot a fill. Right. I mean, that's, that, that's, that's a lot of, a lot of name to hold up to. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was very difficult. And obviously once we got our processes in, you know, then it's like, you know, oh, an admin isn't, isn't following the process. Now we got to fix that. And it's just all these things that come up and it seems like there's always a new obstacle, but to me, that's fun. That's, that's new challenges to face. That's new, right. you know, obstacles to overcome. And just like what you're saying, all those things below the iceberg, like, I feel like I'm not even at the tip of the iceberg yet. I feel like I'm still under the water, <laughs> um, but you know, it's, it's, I, I see the tip of the iceberg, yeah. right. And I, I can see what's, what's at the end of the, the tunnel, so to speak. Um, and that's exciting. And I think if you, especially taking it back to what I said earlier, if you can get the people around you to see that same vision, mm-hmm. uh, that same tip of the iceberg, and you all can share in the success at the end of the day, man, that's a motivator unlike anything else, right? Common goals and, and having the company all progress forward together and have everybody be able to benefit from it is huge. Yeah, and and absolutely. And, and the reality is that adversity is inevitable. And it's In anything. I mean, if you're going to have a goal, it is. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, failure <laughs> right. is only failure if it's permanent. Yeah. I say that all the time. If I had a tattoo, that's what it that's would good. say. That's good. I like that. That's what it would say. Failure is only failure if it's permanent. And really, so for a, a lot of my biggest uh, breakthroughs personally and in business have come from the biggest <laughs> adversities, things that just might have crippled some people and they just said, I'm out. I'm done. But if you really learn how to maximize it, learn from it, I almost look forward to it now. We recently had an issue when we were transitioning. I was a team leader in my previous brokerage, and then when we went independent. The weekend we went independent, there were just a ton of moving parts because I have a big company, and I just didn't anticipate one tiny, tiny thing that turned into – None of my agents being ac- able to access the MLS on the weekend. No, no. And for those of you that might not understand that, that means the agents that live in the MLS, scheduling showings, making offers, and all that stuff, we, we, couldn't, we couldn't access anything we actually needed to on a weekend, which is when realtors are very busy. So we always laugh when our non-realtor friends are saying, hey, what are you doing this weekend? Are you going to relax? And we're like, no, we're crushing it all weekend. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, with realtors, the work's on the weekend, right? Yeah. You're almost working harder the weekends right. than you are the weekdays. And so I'm, I'm getting ready to gear up to, you know, take my, my family out to, to lunch and, and to kind of hang on a Saturday a little bit. And uh, 
one of my agents just start blowing up my phone. Dude, I can't access the MLS. I can't. I'm like, oh my God. And so I'm freaking out. But because I've been through that kind of thing so much, I said, you know what? I'm going to stay calm. And I actually kind of got excited because I'm like, I'm going to get to figure this thing out now. And there will be a solution. This, this is not going to end my company. I will think of a solution. I don't know what it is yet, but we're going to figure it out. And we figured it out and we made it work and it was no problem at all. But in order to have that mindset, you have to understand that failure is only failure if it's permanent and yeah. that those obstacles are learning experiences. And anyone that has developed a high skill set at anything got there by making mistakes. It's easy for non-business owners to criticize other business owners. It's easy for people that have never started a business to say, if you don't run your business this way, you shouldn't start a business. Well, why don't you put your money on the line and your livelihood on the line and your blood, sweat, and tears on the line and see if you feel any different? No. I mean, you could ask any anybody who, especially in sales industries, right, loans, real estate, you know, I mean, they didn't get anybody who's achieved a level of success. I mean, I remember not knowing how I'm going to pay the, my rent the next month when I first started. Like, yep. I, 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 I'd rather spend two thousand bucks dumping it back into my marketing campaign, oh, right? And yeah. I'll, fig, I'll figure out next month, <laughs> right? And that, that was, you know, that's the lifestyle that you know people like to, you know, look at at, at existing businesses and be able to, you know, tear them down and say how how you should run it differently. But people very often forget the journey there, right? The yes the sleepless nights of not knowing if I'm going to eat tomorrow or not. I mean, maybe not that severe, but like, you know, where's rent coming from next month? You know, okay. where's, you know, I don't know if I'm going to get evicted if I can't pay this thing, you know, I mean, that's, that's usually most entrepreneurs got a story that, you know, you were almost, you were almost on your, your dying leg at a second there, yeah. you know? Yeah. Now it was interesting. Something you said previously where we were talking about the, the tip of the success iceberg and you said, I'm not there yet, but I will be soon. I have certainly, had these types of instances and I'd like to get your, your answer to this too, where so, so five years ago, so, you know, I'm posting on social media today and I see a Facebook memory pop up of five years ago, five years ago, I was not licensed in real estate. And I was, the picture was of my wife and I in our little townhouse that we owned in New Jersey, just hanging with our dogs. That's awesome. I was just, I had just quit teaching, built my business to the point that I could quit teaching. Katie was still teaching and I was, I was thinking that was a totally different life. 1,800 miles away, doing something completely different. Now I, I own a thriving company. I coach hundreds of agents all over the country. We've achieved a life I never would have thought possible. And I f still feel like I'm just at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> now, if five years ago, you would have told me, dude, in five years, you're going to be living in this golf course community in Texas, owning this fat company, coaching agents all over the country, making this kind of money, doing these kind of things. I'd be like, what? Seriously? That's, that's, that's the tip amazing. of the iceberg. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to be doing that. I'm going to be making that kind of money. Like, dude, when I get there, put me in the right lane on cruise control at 65 and I'll be good forever. I can't imagine possibly ever needing yeah. any more than that. And now I'm here thinking, dude, I'm not even close. I'm light years from where I need to be. I have so many things I haven't accomplished yet. And for you, I, was, I wasn't surprised to hear you say that, but it was just kind of funny because – I'm reading your stats and I'm like, dude's got one of the top ranked companies in the nation. He's built this. He's completely famous rock star in his industry. He's working with one of the biggest names. He's a total badass, making <laughs> mad money, crushing it, all this notoriety. And you're like, mm, no, 
not not there yet. I'm still underwater. So. Yeah, that's funny. No, I, and I think it's uh, you know, I always think of this quote. I think it was Hermosi, Alex Hermosi, that said it. He said, uh, you know, every every entrepreneur, like obsessively, you know, goal oriented person, is usually twofold. They're supremely confident, confident outwardly, right? Yeah. So that's that's what people see them. But they're supremely like lacking self confidence inside, never feeling like they're enough, yeah. never feeling like you're gonna accomplish your goals. And I feel like yeah. that summarized me so much. Like everybody, just like you said, it's very easy to look at me and say, "Oh, driven, like he's got his thing together." Oh my god, yeah. he built this company. Oh, yeah. like people could look at you, right? But I'm sure there's a part of you that's like. I'm not, I'm not where I want to be. I'm not good enough yet. I'm not this. I'm not that. It's just this every drive day. that's like every always day. there, right? It's like this yeah. going against the grain with everything that you're told outwardly. You know, and I know like David, my partner feels the same way, right? He's like, I, there's got to be something more that I can benefit, you know, other people's lives for. There's got to be something that I can help over here, something I can grow over here. And it's, it, it be, you know, it's, I, I think there's a lot of more unhealthy obsessions, but it's definitely an obsession, <laughs> right? It is. Of just wanting to be better and wanting to, to provide opportunity and services. And it's a, it, it is a journey. Oh, it that's is. for sure. It, it's a bit of a double-edged sword because for sure, we can both say with confidence that we wouldn't be where we are if we didn't have that, if we weren't wired that way. Oh, absolutely. Because if, if you don't wake up in the morning saying, I'm not even close, I got bigger goals, I got to get there, I got to move as fast as possible, we wouldn't keep progressing. We would be content and stationary. Now, if people get to their goal and they're like, I'm going to coast here, that's that's their thing. I'm not telling people how they should or shouldn't run their life. I'm saying for to, It's a typical common thread of highly driven high performers that they have this they're just wired that way uh one, one yeah. of my other favorite books is high performance habits by brendan burchard and he talks about the he he basically took high performers the way napoleon hill took um entrepreneurs and think and grow rich where he interviewed so many of them and could basically came up with the formula yeah for success and failure and brendan burchard because he's the most renowned highly paid highly sought after coach of high performers, whether they're CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, athletes, anybody, politicians, he's deduced what are the common threads among among high performers in this book. It's an amazing book, and one of the qualities he talks about is necessity. This necessity, and someone actually asked me yesterday. I was at a with with my local lender here. We were at a realtor appreciation kind of Christmas party at at his uh, beautiful home. And one of his processors said, Rob, just like, I see you doing all this stuff, man. What really motivates you to do that every day? And, of course, there's family and, and the, the staples. But then I also said, I'm just wired that way, and I don't know why. Yeah. It's, I, I just I, – I can't help it. <laughs> I can't help it. I just, just I've answered that the same way. I feel compelled, you know. 100%. I've answered that the same way so often where – I, I wish I could put it into better words because it's it feels like a little bit of a cop out sometimes when I find myself saying like, oh, I guess I'm just wired that way. Right. And I, I wish there was some formula. But, you know, I, I, I really think in in entrepreneurship, in, you know, work ethic, you know, I think there's this this kind of belief that there's a secret sauce. There's like, mm. oh, Christian figured out something. Mm. Right. There's like some secret sauce. And honestly, like. I know all the gurus and all the course builders and everybody like they're going to say, take my course for the secret sauce. Like it's that iceberg behind you. Like the secret mm -hmm. sauce is like, you want it, you willing to go get it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, okay, I can teach you the steps to go get it. But like, there's not a hotline that we called that just like figured it out for us. You That's know, right. That's, That's right. what a lot it's, of people are looking for, you know? Yeah. And 
the reality is everyone has these doubts and these fears. And, and I, I think the higher, higher level entrepreneurs, the higher level performers have, we all have that same fear, even at more like, there's no way I'm going to be able to accomplish this huge thing I'm trying to. But the difference is, whereas most people would say, I'm not going to be able to do it. It's going to be too hard. I'm just not going to do it. We say, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it. Like, oh, I can't even imagine how I'm going to get to the, I can envision the end goal, but I have no idea how I'm going to get there, but let me try. Yeah. And you just do it and you don't stop. Now you mentioned, you know, there is no secret. There's no secret sauce. There is no shortcut. And I agree with you to an extent. And I know you're going to agree with me too, because this is also something we were talking about right before we hit the record button mm-hmm. and is the education is the oh, 100%. Yeah. Now, when someone tells you there is no shortcut, there is no secret. I believe there is to an extent and that the the secret sauce the shortcut is the blueprint meaning education mentorship coaching knowing the path to take from someone who has walked that path who has accomplished what you're trying to do and has a track record of teaching others to do the same thing you still have to do the work that's yeah 100%. that's the thing so even with the perfect blueprint you're still not going to land on top of the iceberg. You still have to start from the bottom and work your way up. The difference is how quick is that iceberg going to form? How quick can you get to the top of the mountain? So if you imagine where if you're going up Mount Everest by yourself and you've never done it before, you're trudging, you might die. You don't know what equipment to bring. You don't know what steps to take. You don't know that, hey, if you go this way up the mountain, you're going to die. There's avalanches there all the time. You're just going versus if you say, hey, I'm going to hire the most experienced Mount Everest guide. Absolutely. Let's go with the guide. Right? For sure. I still have to climb it. I still have to follow this person up, but I'm infinitely increasing my chances that I'm going to get there alive, that I'm going to get there as fast as I can, and I'm not going to die on the way up. And Absolutely. that's really what the secret is. It's aligning with the person that will give you the answers that will allow you to avoid the most common mistakes so that you can really get there fast knowing – because something entrepreneurs deal with all the time is this analysis paralysis, this – I have to do so many things. What do I do first? I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to do that. I don't even know what to do. I'm just like stuck. I'm frozen. I, I don't know where to start. And by following the blueprint, you know what to do and you know you're doing the right things. So what type of mentorship support did you have as you got started? Because you've worked relentlessly hard. There's also yeah. no way you could have accomplished so much so fast without having some type of guidance. Oh, 100%. And, you know, I, I definitely think I fell kind of in the middle there because my, my, the person that I referenced, my, my childhood friend's dad, who I, who I started under, who was my first broker, um, he was kind of towards retirement, right? So he was kind of seeing, seeing himself out. So I am the classic scenario of I had an older blueprint, of like, hey, this is the way that I did it that wasn't up to date. So I didn't really get that laid perfectly in front of me. Now I saw the end goal. I saw the general pass there. Right. But for instance, like somebody like you, you probably like, hey, this is the route to walk out of these 10 different routes. Walk this one. You'll get there faster. Right. Right. That could absolutely be classified as a shortcut. I kind of brute force method it. Right. I messed up. Yeah. <laughs> I messed up a lot more 
than probably your agents would, right? Coming and learning under you, right? I mistakes all the time. I, I trial and error. That's why I was saying there were months where I didn't know if I was going to pay rent because I, I messed, maybe I messed up a client that month, right? One of my first clients, like I didn't know how to open up title, right? I'm like, I, I don't know. What do I do here? I, I'm just going to call an escrow agency. Like, Hey, do I need something from you? Right. right. Like I didn't have that, that clean cut blueprint. I just knew there was an escrow company involved at some point. <laughs> right. <laughs> so my, mine was absolutely more brute force, but as I, continue to grow in the industry, what I found myself doing, and I'm going to, I'm going to renege a little bit on what I said. If there is a secret sauce in the industry, as I was growing, what really led to exponential growth for me was putting myself in the right rooms, mm. right? So mm. I ended up in the same room as David Green. Mm. That trajected my career in a way that I could not have done it in the same time period. Mm. Maybe I would have done it 10 years or 20 years later, but mm -hmm. obviously, being in the right rooms with the right people. And it wasn't like I went to Dave and said, Hey, you want to do business together, right? It's, we found each other representing the same people. Yeah. When I knew he was the realtor on one of my deals where I was the loan officer, I'm like, I'm going to make sure he does not want for anything. Right. And that's business to business relationships. Right. Yeah. And putting yourself in positions where, you know, people say luck is the combination of, you know, preparedness and opportunity. Yeah you can only control preparedness, right? I mean, you can only control the work that you put in to make sure that you know your job, you know what's expected of you. The opportunity is being able to work a client with you, for instance, right? If you were the realtor on one of my clients, I saw that I'd make damn sure like, hey, we got to take care of it, right? We want to give him a good experience. We got to know that his client's taken care of. We got to want his client going back to him and saying, I want to use this lender again, right? Because there may be a really good future opportunity with, with yourself and my team, same thing. Right. So that's where I, I if there's a secret sauce and just to summarize it one last time, it's putting yourself in the right positions where the people who you feel not only will benefit you, but that you can benefit each other will be in those rooms. Right. And it's it's yeah. just that's that's what scaled me so quickly to being able to get mentors and guides and and exactly you know i didn't even know there were guides to go up uh, you know everest until i met the guide right. <laughs> right? Yeah. In my analogy yeah you know so that's that would be my top advice for yeah. sure man well said 100 percent uh so accurate getting in the room with the right people is life-changing that was something that really occurred to me especially the past couple years so when i similar to you like when i built my first business it was, I write music for ultra competitive marching bands. It's my first business. I'm still very highly That's active awesome. in it. And over 20 years, climbed my way, clawed ruthlessly my way to the top of the industry. Now, usually when I tell people that, they're like, what? Really? I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah. It is a thing. It's a very, very niche type of thing, but it is a thing. And, but because that industry is so very small and there's so few ways to really make serious money at it, there are probably not exaggerating there's less probably less than 10 people in the world that make a, a healthy living exclusively writing music in that style for competitive marching bands so there is not a blueprint whereas if you're becoming a loan officer an agent you're going to sell solar you're going to open a storefront there's blueprints for that Absolutely. there's no blueprint even today for becoming a competitive marching band composer there's so one there room were, to get in. Yeah, so really, at the <laughs> you got to go find the one. Yeah, so at the time I was coming up, there were two guys, two, that were making it happen. Wow. That I could that I didn't really know, 
that I couldn't. They were basically mystical gods on Mount Olympus to me, and I was. I just said, I'm just gonna try to get to where they're at, and ruthlessly clawed my way through grit, persistence, and hard work, and not much guidance to to that thing. Once, and even when I built that business to the point that I could retire and I was making a quarter million dollars a year, I still wasn't really part of an entrepreneurial community because there isn't an entrepreneurial community in that world. You go to music conventions, you see some of the same people that are doing big things, but yeah. it wasn't the same as when I got into real estate. That was when I started going to the, the conventions, the seminars, opened my mind to spending thousands of dollars for a weekend at a high ticket event or spending thousands of dollars a month on coaching. That was when I realized, holy smokes, these events are addicting. Yeah, they're, they're literally like I would go to one of these events and just so for sure at least once a month and my wife is super supportive of this. She knows I got to go somewhere because when I come back, I'm just you light my fire because when you get back, you're in the grind. You just get sucked back into the grind of the day to day. But when, then you go to these events, you're in the room with people. My life and business have changed as we near the end of the year so dramatically this year because of th- out of all the events I went to, there were three key events that got me in the room with really key people that we hit it off and we exchanged value. And because of the impression we had on each other, they then connected me with some of their connections, which led to even bigger things. And so the, the, the way that my companies have progressed this year probably would have taken five to seven years. 100%. But because of the people that I was in the room with, just like you said, amazing things happened there. So what's what's next for you where are you headed now because again you're just you're on fire right now i know you have big goals what what's on the horizon what what would let's say what would have to happen as of now for you to say this is when i will arrive at the yeah. of the success iceberg it's funny because the moment i get there i'll probably see a new uh, a new peak to go climb i guarantee right? you uh, we'll, have, <laughs> we'll have part two of this we'll yeah have you back absolutely. On to see where you're at so just i guess let me just summarize because we were talking off um just my my 30 second plug here so basically i i run a lending brokerage we do everything from conventional financing to you know non-conventional to hard money fix and flip loans basically anything to finance the acquisition of real estate right regardless of whether you qualify conventionally or not we're in about 25 states we're gonna we're we're gonna be in all 50 states we're targeting hopefully in the first quarter of 2023 these states are miserable nightmares to get (laughs) these approvals into um but let's assume we're in all 50 states we can lend nationwide for every product we have you know by march of 2023 that'd be awesome that'd be a goal accomplished as i alluded to earlier um we we have kind of you know, branching off services that we're also growing. So for instance, I'm currently purchasing an insurance uh, kind of conglomerate where we're going to be able to offer insurance services in all 50 states as well. Okay. The goal behind that is if you go find a property, I would, you know, partner with somebody like yourself, go, you know, we have a realtor, go put something in contract. If that's a realtor in our network, or maybe eventually if we have a real estate office, awesome, not the case right now. So we work with referrals on real estate, uh, but they come to us for the loan. We get them an insurance policy that is not just, you know, the only thing you think about when you hear insurance is Geico, 15%, 15 minutes can save you 50%, whatever. Insurance is much more than that. And people who have assets to protect understand that. Mm-hmm. The way you structure it, the way you protect it, if the house burns down, you got to be able to rebuild it. Those of you who know the Paradise, California story, I won't go into that, but basically an entire retirement community burned down and they couldn't rebuild it because no one was insured correctly terrible nightmare of these people who were retired and there was a forest fire that was so hot it burned the asphalt on the streets 
that's how crazy the fire was in, in Paradise, California. Um, but regardless, all that to say, being able to package these services that right now are viewed as, oh, you want to buy a property, go talk to Keller Williams and then go talk to Chase and then go talk to State Farm. And then if you want a property management, you got to go talk to Vacasa and then you got to go talk to your stockbroker to or your CPA to make sure you're taking you know yeah. tax savings. The goal is bringing it all under one roof. That was yeah. the idea behind calling it the one brokerage and having a full financial service advisor panel for you that if it has to do with growing your wealth and achieving financial freedom or independence, we can help you accomplish it. Um, until I get there, which is a very high peak, I will I will be striving for more. Um, and I obviously I have a passion for for real estate. I'm an active investor myself. And, you know, I, I, I if I could take people who are, you know, I mean, we've taken people who have, you know, foreclosures and bankruptcies and now they own 15 properties. It's amazing. Like yeah. seeing somebody be able to accomplish that. Um, it's, it's fulfilling, you know, and that's, that's, that's what keeps that drive going for sure. That's incredible. You got to You got to have goals. You got to have big, big goals. If your goals don't scare you a little bit, I don't think they're aggressive. Oh yeah. <laughs> your goal should be intimidating for sure. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I once, um, was at a, as we're getting ready to wrap up here, I was at a seminar earlier this year for the, the company I was with before I, I went independent. We uh, had about 80,000 80, agents in the country at the time, and the top 100 agents in each market were rewarded with a trip to, uh, based on growth and recruitment. So I was number oh. 18 out of 100, and I was awarded with this trip. And nice. the, the, one of the speakers was one of the top real estate recruiters of all time all wow. time literally holding world records for the number of agents he was able to recruit for the companies he'd been a part of still to this day just an absolute titan guy makes over seven figures a month residual income just from the recruiting that he's done wow yeah and he said i will never ever forget this he said we were talking about goal setting he was talking about stretch goals, the importance of setting big, aggressive goals that scare you a little bit, you know, the big, hairy, audacious goals. And he said, I've never accomplished a goal that I've set for myself. My jaw hit the freaking floor. Someone of that magnitude, of that success. His goals are so up there, huh? Like, yeah, like the best in the wow. world making more money in one month than people could hope to make in their whole 30-year career. Wow. Saying I've never accomplished a goal. And I'm like, what are this guy's goals? Like, yeah. But, but if his goals weren't so aggressive, he would not have accomplished the things 100%. that he did. And you got to have big goals in order to really maximize what you're capable of. Otherwise, awesome. you're never going to try. You're never going to you're never going to put forth what is true. When people say I'm trying my best, they almost never, ever, 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 ever are. Yeah. Because they're not aiming high enough. Well, people find ways to be satisfied, right? You find ways to let content, you know, content, you know, mentalities and, and satisfaction kind of work its way into your life. And if, if that's happening, you're kind of failing. Like you said, if that goal is so audacious that, uh, you know, some little minor satisfaction is going to chip away at it, it, it's probably not a good enough goal. You know? yep. Agreed, man. hundred percent. Before we wrap up, I'm going to give you an opportunity to tell all the listeners how they can engage with you. And your company, how they can get more information and go deeper with you. But the yeah, absolutely. Question, which I ask all of our guests. Go for it. Is if someone were to ask you for advice on growing 
their career, whether they're in, in lending or they just say, hey, I want to I get where you are, Christian. How can I do it? And you were to give them advice that they would have to implement. So this is always where I make my obligatory announcement to the listeners. If you're not implementing advice, it's useless. Knowledge without implementation is like a dusty book on the shelf that you've never read. It's completely pointless. So assuming, Christian, they're going to implement the information you tell them, what advice would you say to someone that wants to get where you are that if they implement it would make it impossible to fail? I love it. I'm going to cheat a little bit, and I'm going to give two answers for two different categories of people. Number one is a is a uh, an entrepreneur in this space. Mm. So I'll give you I'll give a piece of advice for them, and number two, I'll give a piece of advice for like a client looking to achieve financial success, which is what we treat. Love it. Uh, number one for in the industry, just like I said earlier, find the rooms and just go sit in them. Right, go sit in a room of a presentation that someone else is giving, and make it a habit to talk to one person in every one of those rooms. Mm -hmm. And just like you did, you went to that conference. Mm -hmm. You talked to three people that you probably didn't go there to talk to. Nope. And good lord, opportunities abundant. Right. Yep. That's right. Just just because you found the right room to go sit in, and that's that's a task in and of itself because it's hard to find those rooms, especially like you said in your industry where there's ten people. Yeah. That's a hard room to find. Right. Yeah. But having that worthly, that work, that effortless work to go and find those rooms is, is what I'd say for somebody in the industry. Now, for a client, I would say realizing that everything in America, and we didn't talk about this very much, but in our tax code and in leverage strategies and in financial structures and entity building and all this stuff, there's not an investment like real estate. There's not that leads to this type of tax savings that leads to the advantages that you can obtain that leads to the amount of wealth that you can grow regardless of what the dollar bill is doing right in a, in a world like we're in today, which is a very uncertain time financially in our economy. Right. We have no we've never done something like this. We've never printed trillions of dollars in such a short period of time. Yep. Right. If if somebody doesn't already. Go find out about real estate. Right. Talk to yourself. Talk to me. Talk to somebody who is doing it. Because if you're not, I don't want to say you're going to get left behind because this is not a, a, a scare tactic. But there is such a massive opportunity that dumping ten thousand dollars a year into your 401k is preventing you from realizing that could be one house a year that you're buying instead that's supplementing your retirement tax free at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Right. There are strategies. If you want to know more, I'll segue into your second question. If you want to talk to me about anything financially related, um, financing properties, insuring them, wealth, wealth building strategies, our website is the one brokerage.com, T H E O N E brokerage.com. Um, you can find us by typing in David Green Lending Team. <laughs> we're, we're at the top of Google when you search that. Um, myself personally, my email is Christian at the onebrokerage.com. Pretty straightforward. Um, on our website, there's an apply now, there's a contact us button. My personal contact information is on the About Us tab on the website. Hmm. Please reach out. I'm happy to help. This is literally what we built a company around advising people how to do. Um, and I, I just, I have such a desire to teach financial literacy because it is not taught in this country. I don't know why. I don't know why it's so just pushed to the side, but um, I think a lot of people who go through public school systems and even into college, I went to one of the top colleges in America and I didn't take a single finance class. I think that's a damn shame, right? Yeah. So reach out to me. That's where you can find me. Um, I'm also the one broker on, I think, Instagram and TikTok um, underscores in between the words, the one broker. Awesome. Um, and the content you're putting out, uh, you and, and and David on the podcast and just the content you're putting out, the skill set that you have. I mean, 
fortunately, our listeners today had an opportunity to talk to literally one of the best in the country at what he does. And uh, this, is, this has actually been, to date, the longest episode of the Impossible to Fail podcast. That is you tell recorded. me I talk too long, huh? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great because it didn't even feel like it. An hour, over an hour has just gone by because the, the topics are just so good. But the, the information, the quality of information is so good. And if you implement what you learn on these episodes, it is impossible to fail as an understatement. You're going to just be <laughs> taken off well into orbit. No doubt about it. Christian, thank you so much for being on today. If you want to find his links, if you're driving in the car, don't try to get on your phone and write them down. Just go to robstein.tv and check out the description in this episode because we're going to have all of his links, his contact information all up there so you can go deeper with Christian. Christian, have a great holiday season. Congratulations on everything you've accomplished. Good luck getting to your 50 states. I know it's only a matter of time, and uh, it's just been an absolute honor and a pleasure talking to you today, brother. Appreciate that. You as well, my man. Right on.